0: Welcome to the OCR Disrupt podcast with your hosts Nick Day and James Rockley.
1: So we're back, OCR Disrupt. I don't know when the last time was we recorded, but uh, I know many of you would have thought we'd given up the ghost and ran away like some of these race directors do. But uh, we don't take your money. We do come back and. uh, Many months later, here I am with James Ruckley again. Welcome, everyone.
2: Welcome, welcome. How nice you doing, to hear Nice to speak to everyone. Nice to hear your voice again. In a few
1: weeks. Yeah, yours too. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few months, sir. It's been a few months. I mean, James well, I caught up. And like, what are we going to talk about today? You did see me in Poland. We think it's been so long. We weren't quite sure what we should cover because we've missed so much. But at the same time. Not a lot's happened. We've had the Euros. We're going to cover the Euros today. Uh, James has got a couple of things he wants to discuss that he's not that happy with. So I'll let you uh, tell the audience about that, oh, James. I like? uh, me- oh, okay. you- medals,
2: medals? Not happy about medals? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the new Worlds medal we're going to have a chat about. Um, the new craft shoes. But uh, oh, other yes, than that, I guess we'll see shoe. where we go as we go.
1: We've got some excitement because some old races that have gone have been resurrected. We're not talking about... Uh, oh, God, what's the race that everyone... Uh, the donkey sanctuary race that always comes back and dies again. Tough, tough guy. Though. Not talking about all tough right, guy. All right, be nice to tough guy. Which disappeared and came back in about a matter months. There's another race that disappeared and has come back and everyone's very excited, which, of course, is Judgment Day. So welcome back, Judgment Day. Good to have you back. <laughs>
2: um. You, you, haven't, you haven't checked online over the last few days, have you? Judgment Day is cancelled again. Judgment Day came back and has gone. So we're up to date. Um, but yeah, there won't be any of
1: that one. Oh dear. Actually, I did know that beforehand. The reason I knew is because I went to go and have a look at their website and apparently that's not working. So I thought, well, okay, website's not working. Maybe it's just a technical hitch. I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's have a look at the race director's profile and see if we can find that. But that seems to have disappeared as well.
2: So pre of the Worlds, obviously, summer parties just happened. I don't know. Did you go?
1: I didn't go. I heard it was brilliant. Um, I really oh, yeah, wanted to great. go. I really should have been there because I'm obviously part of Team Nuclear Phoenix. But it did also coincide with my 12-year wedding anniversary. And I wasn't quite sure that my wife would be that happy if I took her to uh, a load of mud while I played on obstacles. Um, so I didn't go. But great reports, some really good food coming back. And I do think a lot of people got to taste the... Uh, the Ninja Course, uh, which is a little bit a little bit bigger than the one they had at the Euro. Yeah, that looked really good actually. Some really good footage. If you haven't checked it out yet? Go over to the uh, Nuclear Pages and you should be able to find them. Some really good videos being shared on people rushing through the uh, the Ninja Course at the summer party. Got Spartan Race, which uh, obviously the series finale has been and gone. So we'll have a quick talk about that. And of course, they've got some new and exciting obstacles. That believe it or not are slightly more <laughs> daring and even more exciting than the Helix. So uh, stay tuned for that.
2: Oh, I can't. I can't.
1: And of course, big news in the OCR scene, which is the, uh, well, we're, we're talking about resurrections here, not just of JD, but also of the UK OCR Federation. Or I think they have used to be known as OCRA. It's now the UK OSF. Um, we are going to be hearing from Sean Wilde, who's had a quite a pinnacle role to play in the in the new formation, who I believe is setting up an official OCR training qualification. So for those PTs out there or those training professionals that want to specialize in delivering uh, accredited in the future, we hope, OCR training courses, then we're going to have a quick interview with Sean a little bit later about that as well. And probably share a few of our thoughts on uh, and concerns potentially about what we think of the new UK OSF. So I think that kind of uh, wraps up what our plans are Let's start with the Euros. James, you were out there. You had a, a bird's eye view. You were commentating throughout. Tell us a little bit about the Euros from your perspective. I mean, from my perspective, it was lovely. Good air conditioning, nice
2: <laughs> height view, lots of food, uh, one kilogram steak. I mean, that was pretty good. So yeah, I had a great, great time. The race looked pretty tough. I went and, and ran around the fifteen K and the five K. Geez, it was hot though, wasn't it? I mean, you were out there on the course in the heat of the day. It was horrifically it hot. It was
1: hot. I don't know if it was that bad. It was pretty hot. It was nice. I'd much rather that than the freezing cold or the rain. But that yeah, was good. I thought the course I thought the course I mean, was epic let's bear in mind my I mean, let's bear in mind my complexion here. Your gingerness. Yeah,
2: that's what I was about to say. That that was unpleasant for me. Course wise, though, you're right. Absolutely epic. Really, really good.
1: I thought it was really good. I mean, for those that know me on the OCR circuit, I was never going to be uh, someone that overly exceeded at this course but I had a thoroughly good time did a lot better than I anticipated I would I did of course lose my band. but um it was good there was just kind of rig after rig after rig but every rig was doable on its own it was just the multitude of them together yep. that caused the bigger challenge uh, there are always going to be issues with these races there was definitely an issue with curing don't want to gild the lily here I think that's kind of been covered on Facebook but there were definitely some issues I think they could resolve and there's some things they could do just to prevent that from happening I had a slight bugbear which isn't necessarily about the curing although it's related which is they set everything up in wave format, which I think was, the, I think it's the first time they've split age groups into waves. I might be wrong, but it's certainly the first time I've experienced it. I think the issue I had with the wave system is particularly my age group. So I'm sort of 35 to uh, 40 age group. We tend to go off quite early. I was in wave five for the 15K race. And I just think you're want an even playing field. If you're going out in wave one, than if you're going out in wave five because if you are worried about queues there's in wave one that are going on after the elites there isn't much for queue that's going to be formed at that time if you're going off in wave five you're hitting all the people in waves one two three and four that haven't got through yet uh whereas if you're wave one you avoid that so i think if i was a competitor that was actually going to challenge for a medal and really try and go for a podium if i set off in wave five i'd be really pissed off i just think it's it made it a lot more challenging and you never know where you are in the race i think i think james burton got to the second or third from last obstacle and in his mind's eye he was in first place but he was in wave one so actually you don't know where you are you might be first in your wave but actually you've got no idea who you're racing against or how well anyone's doing in the previous waves and i think it's uh for me kind of like to know who i'm up against and who's in what position as i'm racing rather than finishing and it was almost like a time trial style. Yeah. Just um, wasn't for me.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I hear what you're saying. We, I sat down with Amy and the race director beforehand and he explained why they were doing the wave system. They thought that based on the length of the course, and I must admit, we both agreed, the wave system was actually probably the only way it was going to work in that you're not going to have... The, the, the thoughts were that if you send off groups of eight, for example, or let's go 10, five people will clear it on the first run and they won't be queuing. The next five will move to the you know, the the retry lane, three of them will clear it or four of them will clear it. And it should leave just the one person in the retry lane. And then when the next wave hit, there should only be one person there. And that worked really well in the waves that were more capable. In some of the waves that weren't as capable, you did see those cues. And I ran the course afterwards and saw some people trying techniques on some of the obstacles. Uh, I know the Polish anchor rig was one of the harder ones, um, although that had been made easier than the previous year. And yeah, it was really interesting to see that, some people were not necessarily doing the obstacle, um, how to put this, in the smartest way. I sat there and watched um, as people like Robin French were sending me messages saying how horrific the queuing was. And actually what you found is that that obstacle, I mean, you you did it. It's not a quick one, is it, that anchor rig? It can take you a minute, 90 seconds, two minutes.
1: No. And the queue when I was there was, was, I mean, it was a length. If everyone says I was there for 10, 15 minutes. I don't know what it was in reality. It felt like about 10 yeah. minutes. It was it was a long way. It was frustrating. Yeah. But I, I did notice there was a trend. And I don't know if they can adjust this for the Euros next year. But mm. the queues were definitely where there were ch- uh, go under a net Queues. So, you know, where they've got the netting, you have to go on, un- you climb mm. right, up, go under the net and back yeah. up. Every queue was an obstacle that had a net. And if the net wasn't, I know it's a pain in the ass to get, over, to get under one of those nets, but it wasn't what people were failing. And I think if you just no. took that net out, climbed up the rope, got straight onto the anchors, which is a flowing obstacle, you'd probably get rid of a lot of those queues, but they weren't letting people on until they'd passed the net. And actually, if you're gonna have you keep the same volume of obstacles, I think there's a pretty simple solution, which is just get rid of those nets.
2: Well, I mean, when, when I yeah, no, when I went round, what actually was happening is the marshals were telling people to go. But people were waiting until the fi- you know the, the person in front of them had cleared the anchors, had cleared the net, and was on the final set of ropes. Yeah. That's a minute. Yeah. That's a minute and a half that they're just sat there waiting with an open lane. So when I sat there and watched, what was happening is people would start the obstacle get three quarters of the way through, fail it, and then the next person would start. And no matter how much the marshal would say, you can go now, you can go now, you're not going to catch them up there a minute ahead, go now, they would sit and wait until they fell off or completed it. And when you've got an obstacle with those two nets where you can stop and have a rest, at the time I went through, they would stand on the top of them to, to rest, that's fine. You cannot be sat there waiting for a minute, a minute and a half until they've cleared the lane if you want to be competing. I've seen videos, you know, of such as Robbie Derrick just easing his way across that obstacle without a blink, you know, blink of an eye. And he's come past and I believe he overtook James Burton of that obstacle. So it's not so much just a case of that obstacle had cues. It's those who struggled with it. It was a relatively easy obstacle. Either didn't, you know, when I went round, sit there and go as quickly as they should have, get on the obstacle, get off the obstacle. They, they sort of waited for it to be a clear line, which wasn't necessary. Or they just simply weren't good enough to complete what was in reality a relatively easy rig in a quite nice position in the shade, not covered, you know, not wet, not covered in water.
1: It was an easy rig, yeah. It was an easy rig. I mean, if I can if I can do it first time in both races, it's definitely an easy rig, right? But I think those nets just 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 caused a bottleneck. There was a net there. There was another net in the 15k race before one of the tire uh, rigs. Again, huge delays at that obstacle when I got there. There was, there, I think there were three different obstacles that had a net you had to go under before the obstacle really started. On every one of those, I hit, there was a really big queue. I think mm. the problem is if you've got those really try, really trying to be competitive, it, it could be, can come down to who can jump the queue or be most direct in jumping the queue. I mean, there was, uh, it was getting tense. You know, there was uh, some profanities being sent around, people getting a bit aggro. You're pushing in, stop him, stop that guy or whatever. Uh, but, you know, if you go in and you don't mind, the hollowing and the abuse and you're happy to go straight to the front, cut it and get through, it could save you 10 minutes. Mm. So 10 minutes in a 15K race makes a significant difference. And you don't want to race. You don't want to race. Again, and it's, it's worth pointing out
2: again, you know, A, yes, you might have a queue in the retry lane. People aren't particularly efficient. Yes, people are waiting too long to get on. But also, use that time as rest and recovery, as, as silly as it sounds, even if it's a minute or two, catch your breath, have a rest, shake your arms out, mm. and then don't fail it. Because the majority of people moaning are the people that fucked it up because they weren't good enough, you know? There's very few people moaning that they sat there for two minutes, had a breather, shook their arms out, and got off and ran off fresh. The majority of them, that are there that have been there for half an hour because they failed it three times. They had to QE 10 minutes to get each time.
1: I'll tell you what, don't fail it. So I had a slight idea of a solution to some of this queue problem. I'll throw it out there. I mean, loads of people have had their say on what they think a solution would be. I don't think you can let people through if they're... You know, a lot of people have said, oh, if you're in the first five, you should go straight to the front because at the end of the day, people catch up and, and it, it, it gives an advantage to those front five that those are sixth and seventh place not a chance to catch up. But I think there is a solution and that is if you give a coloured band to each age group, so if the elites are red, I don't know, 30 to 35 is blue... 35 40 is orange or whatever i think if you get if you know your color when you get to the obstacle if you can see anyone with a color that isn't your age group ahead of you you should be able to pass them on your first attempt i don't know they're where you're only killing with people in your own age group so that's fine i don't mind being behind someone in their own age group but if there's someone in the 30 to 35 category ahead of me still on that obstacle as i get to them they left 15 minutes before they should let me with my color band pass them until i failed and that that would be my view um and that might be a solution, maybe because a bit more band expenditure, potentially, or some kind of color system.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be one to agree with that. However, my experience of it is, is only, you know, for example, the UK Champs a few years back, which was obviously just a minor level race. And I remember catching up to a woman at the rope traverse, and I was in, in front of my race and said, oh, do you mind if I jump on? Because there were three rope traverses, huge queues, um, no one in my category in front of me, uh, only to get the reply from the woman was, yeah, and I'm second in mine. And it was sort of like, you started two hours in front of me. You're clearly not in the race anymore. Um, and I think that's exactly what you'd get. You would get people that would be like, no, I'm fighting for ninth. And this could be the difference between ninth and eighth. Or,
1: But it's not about what you're fighting for at that point, because it's just setting the rules. If an age group, someone behind you comes with a band, it's an age group that sets off after you, they automatically go ahead of you in the queue. That's it. Done.
2: I, I like I like the idea. I just don't think you would get too many happy people if they were allowed to be overtaken. And I think you only open yourself up for a further level of cheating from some places. Um, If, you know, oh, I've now got two kind of wristbands or I've borrowed someone else's wristbands any you know, a different age category um, so that I can get through quicker, that kind of thing. I think it only opens yourself up for four more levels of, of cheating.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, it's got to be a solution. So what's your view on the, the wave system? I mean, if, I, you know, how can you, for me, it's it's not a fair advantage leaving in the wave five than isn't leaving wave one. There is a solution to this as well, I think, which is in the qualifications. You qualify for your wave. So if you are the quicker, the quickest, the, you know, the, you have to submit your results to get in to be verified as a competitor. And I think those that qualify quickest go in each wave.
2: Oh no! This is what they did. This is what they did. So the people that were in wave one were seeded to a higher level. So when we were discussing on the morning of the race and he said that people were going off in waves, they were seeded. And those on the, the watching the live stream, I think Amy and I did a fairly comprehensive job of constantly pointing this out. It was based on if, you know, if you and I both qualified at nuts for age category and we were in the same age category, but I was five minutes faster than you. I would be in a higher wave seeding than you. And that's how they did it. Now, obviously, that can't be done for everyone. Because you don't know who everyone is, sure. I don't
1: think that was. If, if that's the case, I don't think it was uh, articulated very well to those racing.
2: No, I don't think it was to the athletes. We only found out in the morning when we were having a bit of a brief, and we said, uh, and then they mentioned the wave system. We said, how was it decided? And like I say, they ran us through it then. But that was that the principle of it was that those that seeded, you know, were, were quicker in qualification or had previously won the race, previously done well at the World Championships, the European Championships um then they would go into a higher category. So that's why you saw the likes of Leon Coford up in the first wave whereas you saw, you know, some other people that may well be just as well not as quick as obviously Leon but you know in in the categories further back they might be just as good as the obstacles not necessarily the running speed. So yeah, it was it was seeded by on uh, based on the the previous results which I think like you say is the best way of doing it.
1: Okay. Well that's good. I didn't I didn't realize that and that's the case they should make that clear beforehand because in, in my example i just uploaded the first race that gave me qualification as opposed to my best result because i just thought i've qualified i'll just send them that one i think i sent something like a ninth place finish at spartan and I, I put in last year but i didn't send that result so i think had i known that yeah it would have affect my seeding i would have sent them a different qualification result than the one i did that's me personally i think they, yeah
2: sorry i think communication was something they could definitely have done better but um It is what it is, and they did what they did. Um, I think we just have to learn from it for next year, and now people know that seeding was done this year. Hopefully, next year, they will think about that. But equally, you've got the aspect of wave... They do, they do book out and they do get fully booked. So you need to get on there quick with a good result.
1: However, I need to add, it was a cracking event. I don't want to be down on it here. I'm talking about the two critical pieces, which were queues and the and the, and the, oh, and yeah. the, uh, the wave system, which if it was seeded, I have no issues with it at all, actually. That's fine. So it's just the queues. Uh, mm. But it was a brilliant event. It was, it was really good. You actually felt like, you know, OCR isn't officially a, a sport. It felt like a sport. It felt like they'd put a lot of money, Time investment into the event. The obstacles just look first class. They look brand new. It was it was brilliant. It was a really good atmosphere. I thought the Ninja course was was excellent, which was running all day, which gave you something to watch, give you something to do. They had stuff to do for kids, which is a big bugbear for me. They had a really good children's races going on. They had things for children to practice on. It was very very child friendly, which is a massive massive bugbear for me at the Worlds yeah, last did. year, where there was absolutely nothing for children to do. Uh, no children's races. The Euros really got that spot on this year. Uh, really good sponsors. Uh, you know, which just gave it a little bit of a colourful feel. It made it feel like a bit more professional. It felt good to to, to be there. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was brilliant. I've been really down on, on on the queuing aspect of it, but otherwise, it was just a fantastic event. And I think you know, Italy's got a lot to top next year. I think they did a really a, a, put on a really first class event. When we were at the Euros, we did get some footage of people's thoughts. So here's some uh, a few live clips of people's views of the Euros. Which we recorded while we were out there. We're with Rob Border here, says, <laughs> uh, just recorded a 134 time on the Ninja track. How you feeling, Rob? Okay. Well, man of no, many no. words. Right, chatterbox on <laughs> the <we> go here. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting
3: food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mark Dixon, you gold medalist. has got a, <laughs> a mouthful of pizza. How you feeling? Good,
0: brilliant. Excellent Euros. Tell us about the course. Fantastic course. Perfect, it's tough. easy, right? No, it was tough. It was really tough, as it should be, European Championships. It's going to hurt last, hurt last year, toughened up this year. It's not badminton. If you don't like it, stay and play badminton. Understand it's tough. The
1: game.
0: Stand, it, it was pretty, The cues were bad, but they know about that, and they're going to address it and improve on it next you year. to the race
1: director? I
0: spoke to the race director. They asked me. The race, I mentioned it to Chris Stuart armory and then he brought the race director over to speak to me about it, and I said, because I had it on the short course as well, Cues and losing places, it's... It added a mental game to it a little bit. You had to fight places. it been a Belarusian. I was in second place, and he was taking it, and it, we was battling and losing it for the cubes the whole way. The Dutch guy. They lo- everyone loved the Dutch. They let him through. Hang on. So it was the cubes were shit. They need the system sorted out. But you, you smashed can't... the short
2: course.
0: Yeah, I've done it. Yeah, I'd done well with it. I was doing well in the, the long course as well. Bit of cramped because I, I haven't been out of run more than five k recently. So no, it you out. came
1: steaming past me. I think it was North Pole on it. <laughs> it came past me. Well, was thinking, what's,
0: your, what's your verdict uh, I think exactly the same I think the course was uh, was just
1: hard enough um, but the, yeah the cues were an issue on a number you of spots you kept your band on both oh. courses I kept my band on both courses killed yeah, yeah. Killed, well, 30, yeah, almost killed myself 30th place, 28th place? 29th in the short 28th in the standard there's
0: another two, another two, one
1: of well, what's your verdict Tracy how did you find it Oh, it was good fun for me it was the first time so it was an education uh, best bit uh, I just like the variety uh, there was Far more variety in the. Of I am actually getting to like rigs. I never yeah. thought I'd say that. Favourite obstacle? Oh. The, no, the monkey bar one to the spinning nunchucks. What was that called? Oh, yeah, yeah. Madman. Madman, Mad-Man just before summer. I was really happy with it, that. Favourite obstacle? Uh, the sort of uh, variation on a hamster wheel to flying monkey. Uh, oh, it. yes, yeah. I love that.
2: Yeah, I think what really didn't get enough attention, um, definitely from us in, in the camera commentary kind of area and on social media, was just how good those trails were as you headed out into the woodland. And Until I went for a run with Ian, um, the head of the World, o- World Obstacle Racing Federation, I didn't know how good those trails were out there. They were
1: absolutely stunning. Sure. Yeah, it was brilliant. I had a bit of everything. I had a bit of everything. I had the trail running, had some really good rigs, uh, some very innovative rigs, some new obstacles that we hadn't seen before. Uh, all the rigs that i thought were doable and coming for me that means that they yeah, really yeah. were doable um you know i lost my band but i ended up losing it on the spinning nunchuck which is a brand new obstacle i'd never seen before like, same place as jason burgess which uh, i thought if he can lose it there I'd, I, as a little bit of uh you know i can take that back because he's a first class athlete and uh, he was struggling it was just yeah i just i just couldn't do it so i lost it there i was quite happy to
2: jason burgess that's the one yeah he's a monster
1: It was just brilliant Uh, at everything. And for those not sure what to do next year, I mean, we're going to be in one of the most beautiful settings in the world in the Dolomites. If you haven't been before, it's probably my favorite place in the world. I've done several races out there before. I've done the Maratona uh, on the bike, uh, climbing some of some really tough climbs. And I've also done the uh, North Face Cortina Trail Path Ultra out there. And it's absolutely stunning. But you need to get your hill training in. These are hills like you just don't see in the UK. And I'm sure they're going to expose us on them. So if you want to go out and do a, an amazing race with good obstacles that are really going to challenge you in some of the most stunning surrounding, surrounds you'll ever see, then uh, get yourself signed up and qualified for the Euros next year. Uh, also, if you're out to the Euros next year, I highly recommend you take a few extra days, to go and test yourself on one of the Via Ferrata's, which if you're not familiar, is basically super high protected climbing paths in the Dolomites. you're like thousands of feet up walking across rope bridges and really tight paths that are built into the mountains. You're using steel cables, ladders, climbing on fixed anchors. Anyone can do it. You don't need training. Uh, it will scare the living SHIT out of you. And I think if you've got a few extra days to do, go out and try one of the VFR ferratas. Go and Google it and have a look. It's, honestly, they are, they are quite something. So uh, yeah, go and enjoy yourselves when you go out if you're signing up. Chap about the worlds, which is the next big event on the on the calendar, coming around thick and fast.
2: Yeah, I know that's really really snuck up on me this year. It's only a couple of weeks away—ten weeks away, is it right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not far. Back, it's October the twelfth this year. Um, I think it's October the twelfth. Yeah. Obviously, back at the nuclear course, they've already got the ninja circuit, which they've been setting up. I don't know if it's going to change before the uh, the world champs, but uh, certainly some uh, some interesting obstacles being uh, set up on the on the ninja course. Um, and they've got a new medal, which you're not that happy about.
2: Well, I mean, I, I like the world's people, so I've got to pick my words carefully. But I think it's not the best medal they've done. Um, so it's a bit green. Uh, people are unsure if it's a lion or a chicken on it. I'm not <laughs> sure either way. Um, it, it, could be, it could be a nuclear chicken, frankly. Yeah, pigeon nuclear chicken. Who really knows anymore? But yeah. I mean, frankly, who cares? It's a medal. People do the race to... Do the race. Not like anyone does the race just to get the medal, is it, Nick? Um, so no one will really care. But yeah, I, I thought it was maybe not the best medal they've done, especially when you consider how good some of their medals have been. But you know what? If if, if all you can pick apart in a race is the medal, then they've done a fairly good job. So I, I won't complain. And like I say, I'm not getting one, so who cares?
1: I'm going to disagree with you. Are you? I think the medal looks awesome. I think it's clearly a lion with a big mane. Is he? I mean, you've got bad taste. Haven't it's you? Got like a, what can you not like? It's, got, it's a medal with electric green. And lime green. I mean, what could you possibly go wrong?
2: I do like good lime green colours. Oh well, you see, no, no, you're selling me on it. I'm not really, a, I'm not really an animal person on medals, flags, or anything. So I'm guessing I'm always just going to be negative towards that. I mean, need need me something to be negative about in this episode, don't I?
1: So what do we know? What do we know about the uh, world champs coming up? I think based on last year, you've got to be training in the mud. Very different to the Euros. Less obstacle. Uh, centric which we know probably more doable but really tricky for those that aren't used to running in mud or running off road yeah i'm just hoping and praying they've got a little bit more on for children this year i don't know if you've heard anything on the grapevine a bit more i think
2: oh come on we're so far removed from the grapevine you and i've got no idea (laughs) um no I've, i've not heard anything i can't imagine that they will have the same as last year i think they'll have more that this year they need to really um like you say it's such a big market having the kids race now and, and obviously you've got these junior development programs and whatnot around so i think they'll have plenty to do but i'm often wrong i'm told so we'll have to wait and see on that one
1: also had the spot the final of the spartan series three races uh, i think our very own nuclear phoenix dan corner got first place in the men's series and a nice healthy check for three thousand quid what a man. Uh, second was Tom Tweddle. And uh, Jason Bonnet got third.
2: Uh, who won the, the women's race, Sir James? Oh, you have thrown me under the bus royally there, haven't you? <laughs> I, I, I don't follow Spartan. I've got no idea what happens over there. They put up some cargo nets and pretend it's the newest obstacle going. So, yeah, I, I've got no idea. Uh, very slowly, I will go to the Spartan page. <laughs> The first thing that comes up under my Spar- uh, search when I type in Spartan is Spartan's new obstacle. Oh, mate, it's stunning. So in the first place the we have Miriam Goulet Boise. I am not one for pronouncing foreign-sounding surnames. Uh, and in the second place, Andrea Burkez, And third place, Natasha Mansell. We obviously all know them pretty well.
1: Yeah, Natasha in particular has done really well. She did well out in um, the-, the Euros as well, didn't she? I think she-, she got on the podium or maybe even won the... Uh... The elite race uh on the uh sprint race i think so she's yeah yeah she's been killing it so it's really good to see those developments so yeah so results there on the uh on the spartan side i'll tell you a little bit about my own version of the Spart- spartan marston lodge had a few uh <laughs> you'll like this james a few schoolboy errors which won't surprise anybody number one is in my newfound confidence i thought hey i've got to the spinning whatever they're called things the spinning monkey bar things you could twister which i've never failed before and shouldn't have failed this time but in my newfound confidence after actually training with obstacles decided that i would do three at a time skipping so basically doing one skipping two getting the third uh, and in my speed and hate and uh and excitement i completely ballsed up basically got to the uh the change between the, t- where the two twisters come together in the middle realized there was nowhere to put my second hand and tried to swing on just two fingers and came off <laughs> No, good race then. So, for the sake of trying to save myself about three seconds, cost myself 30 burpees. And then I got caught myself up, managed, managed to make up the places, wasn't doing too bad, got back up to the uh, positions. I think I just about caught James Burton on the carry, uh, got to the spear throw, and stepped on the string when I threw the spear. <laughs> so,
2: so, genuinely, you had a schoolboy era weekend?
1: It didn't even reach the target. It kind of, yeah, threw halfway, caught the string on my foot, fell, hit the floor, another 30 burpees. So, yeah, I've had better races, it's fair I say.
2: But you enjoyed
1: it yeah pretty much i had a thoroughly good time really enjoyed it i think i still came i've been 13 either way wasn't particularly special not much to write, write home about but uh, mm. i did and my kiddies did, 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 the, did the children's race and i have to say best kids race i've ever seen spartan put on yeah um Eva, i think Eva, who's uh, 10 years old yeah it was about it felt like it was about 5k she smashed it she went all around the course they had ninja rings they had carries they had nets they had a. Uh, yeah, they've actually gone all out. Uh, Marshalls are great. Proud to say, as much better than me in obstacle. She nailed ninja rings on her first attempt, which su- surprised me as much as anyone else. So she was really excited about that. They had a mini spear throw for them, which was pretty cool. And then Leo, my son, who's only five years old, did a, a, a shortened version of the same race. Um, and both, yeah, both loved it. So fair play, Spartan. Uh You might cost a fortune, uh, but it was uh, it was a really really good day out. So have to say, thoroughly. Thoroughly well done, Spartan.
2: Go on then. How much is a, uh, a Spartan race cost for kids? I th-
1: I think it was twenty five pound each. Troy. that's unpleasant. Which I don't think is terrible until you add on the price of an elite race as well. For me, and the whole thing came to yeah, you know, travel everything else as well over two hundred pounds all in uh, by the time you get there. Which you know, it's it's quite sizable. But good fun. Hands up. It does. Good fun nonetheless. So, uh. Good. That's all that matters, really, isn't it? Overall, well done. And as you said, Spartan have a new obstacle. Very excited. Now. Oh, God. While I'm on the subject, slight issue here, James. We featured their last new obstacle, the Helix. Has anyone seen it at any races? Where was it? It certainly wasn't a master much.
2: I mean, I've seen pictures of it. I think I've seen it being done in America. I don't know if it's made its way over here, actually. Um, thankfully. But uh, they, they went, I mean, have you opened the
1: video of the one I've just sent you? I have, yeah. It might just about pass Well, I
2: mean, it's probably too dangerous for them to actually try at the time, which is why it's only been described. Um, but, I mean, it's a giant frame, I guess you would say, uh, with made of a like, lightning rig with a very long cargo net being placed up and over it.
1: Thank you, guys, for watching. Woo! Would that, would that be fair? I think that's basically what it is. A big cargo net. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's a cargo net. And, um, yeah, I don't I don't really... Yeah. What, what do you say? Anything you got? I'm out, I'm out. I've got nothing.
1: <laughs> it has that as, you, as your yeah game. It's like,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. But,
1: what... yeah, it's like...
2: Oh, um I, I I genuinely when I was watching that video be made, I was like, they're gonna put something on it in a minute. Oh, that's the start, that's just a frame. It's gonna be like a, a traverse up and over it, there's gonna be something else attached to Oh, the video's ended. Oh. Okay.
1: Um There's about fifteen people building it. It's out, it looks quite exciting, you know. They Yeah, it's big. They fast forward the video to build attention and then at the end it's it's just, just a cargo net. Uh,
2: with a few people sat on it waving. Yeah, I mean, I've got nothing against it. I love a good cargo net, but I thought that was going to be a world class obstacle when the video went up. And um,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah it's yeah. not quite a helix.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean the helix is the helix is for the super elite athlete, and here we have one of our super elite athletes giving it a go. Now you'll see she's got numerous hard handholds. Honestly, I was actually with um, Freya Martin <laughs> this weekend. Um just gone.
1: Oh, how is Freya? I've not seen her on a
2: circuit for ages. Oh yeah, she's brilliant. She's get back to running and training. She genuinely said she was considering doing a Spartan race, but she, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get this one out. Plain face, plain face. She was scared that the obstacles have got too hard. Uh, wow! And then wow. I showed her the video of the helix and that, and she couldn't quite believe what I was showing her. Oh, maybe oh, I was good. I'd be good it. to
1: see her back on the circuit. She is so, such yeah. an athlete. She used to be brilliant. I know she, um, she's had a couple, uh, a couple of kiddies or a kiddie since our last race against her. I think.
2: Uh, she had one when she used to race, and so she's had another child since the UK champs all those years ago, but she's about to doing a lot of park runs and things in times that you and I would think are upsettingly fast, so with any luck, she'll be back.
1: Nice, I did a park run a couple of weeks ago and got overtaken on the finish line by a 10-year-old, uh, which is a bit disappointing, but exciting at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought I'd done an okay race. I ran it in 1712, I thought that was all right, and then uh, the guy overtook me in about last Last hundred meters and ran seventeen dead. Yeah, that's pretty decent. And uh, it was that moment of of complete shockness. I tell you, it was even better. You'll like this, James. Oh, god. While I was racing, I, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you, with iPhones there's a, there's obviously a function where you can call the emergency services no. uh, if you're in an emergency without having to without having to dial nine nine nine. Turns out, I'd been repeatedly dialing nine 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 or the emergency services on my iPhone in my pocket, which I raced with. No. Uh, they'd heard the start of the race because I my first dial was at 8.59 and I think the guy who was doing the um the commentating at the start, telling everyone about the new race is how it starts, ever wait for the start gun. They'd heard the word gun I'd phoned the emergency service on the bit they heard and I think the last thing they heard was the word gun and I was racing and I kept getting this, this call coming I just kept ignoring it because I was in race mode and eventually, which I didn't know they could do the police answered the phone for me, which was a new one, Um, and they said hello, we've answered. Oh, amazing. I know. They said we've answered the phone for you because you seem to be failing to answer, and we're very concerned. You've called us multiple times, and we've heard the word "gun." Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm currently running park one. Run. What the hell? <laughs> Absolutely fine. They're like, we. I know, so I was, and I was racing pretty well. I was in a, a joint second, running along beside another guy at the time, and he, I just started having a conversation. Please, I was like, i have been doing part because well, we need to verify that you're okay and yeah. you obviously you sound out of breath we need to make sure <laughs> that you're not at any kind of risk as like, I'm assure you I'm just jogging this is all that's happening I'm running pretty it's been pretty hard at the moment so I had to verify what I did as a profession my address my name all the other bits and pieces uh, to confirm that I wasn't in any danger and then they sent me a follow-up text at the same time so I was running the guy next to me was wetting himself going is this actually for real I was like yeah I'm literally talking to the police I've been dialing in my pocket uh so that happened during a race which was a little bit different that's amazing um and then at the end of the race obviously i'd realized just how many times i'd phoned them which i think was about 18 times in my pocket <laughs> um and they would texting me in fact i've probably still got the text which i can read out to you if i've got it here
2: Please tell me you've now turned off that function on your phone.
1: I don't know if you can turn it off, but the police came back to me with a reference, and so the time of the first text was 9.04, so I'd have been running for four minutes at this point. Uh, in block capitals, uh, DNC police reference, DCP two zero one nine o eight o three. Police have received a 999 call repeatedly from this mobile. Log 323 refers, if you require urgent assistance, please redial 999. Which I then redialed another 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best thing I've heard. I know. So, uh, you know, nothing simple with me. I'll always make some kind of story out of what should be a simple race. So, uh, yeah, called the police multiple times and then got got overtaken by a 10-year-old. Uh, all fun and games. That's amazing.
2: Well, at least, you know, at least you didn't lose your phone in this race and leave it on the floor for someone to find.
1: This is very true. This is very true, uh, and I still have it. Unfortunately, I I wasn't shot, and there were no guns in this story. That's amazing. Uh, there were uh, any risk at any point, but a uh, bit of fun and games nonetheless. Anyway, we move on <laughs> to something that I know you are excited to announce, which is the uh, the new Spartan collaboration. Tell us more.
2: <laughs> oh God, you had me for a moment there. Um, I just, I, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean they've just released a lot of shoes of Kraft haven't they Um, but yeah Kraft have released some shoes of Spartan which look interesting I mean supposedly they're strong enough to be run over by a truck or something but yeah we'll see how long they last on the race
1: what about yourself have you got any thoughts towards them I think a shoe that can withstand being run over by a truck is an important quality I look forward to a shoe you you never know when that could happen in an OCR race I think it's uh, an important test that you need to put any new OCR shoe through before it should go to mass market. Standard test.
2: Well, to be fair, I mean, you're not not wrong, actually. I remember almost getting run over by a quad bike at a Bear Grylls race. So, um, yeah, it might actually be quite a useful thing. One of the guys who had uh, locked up a load of metal chain link fences that we were supposed to run through. And uh, when we couldn't get through them, he thought, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll drive a quad bike into them at 20 miles an hour. That will separate the gates. Uh, but they didn't buckle, and his quad bike flipped back over and crushed him. So I guess in the end, I was the real winner. Shit talk. I
1: just, you just reminded me of something. You were talking about, um, obviously, the, the chains and whatever else in the race. And we're talking about Spartan. Have you heard about what happened in Spartan in their stadium race in Amsterdam? Well, no, please do tell me. So Neil Adamson went out to uh, Amsterdam, did the stadium race. Very excited, took his whole family out to support him. Uh, I'm going to read you a little message you sent me afterwards when I said, yeah, how'd did race go, mate? Not seen much, uh, much posted. He went, so much fun. A really great race until the top 10 of us ran mm. down a stairway all the way to the bottom only to realize that the door had been shut and locked by accident. It was carnage as elite men and women started backing up behind us. Some of the top lads were in tears. We were all stuck in a stinking hot staircase for over 10 minutes until we were let loose. <laughs> then we had to sprint again like caged animals, <laughs> carnage, seriously terrible mishap in the middle of what was a great event. The elite times were therefore taken from the first chip time and which was only eight minutes into the race or one foot into the race. As this was the last known position before the, before the door... <laughs> he said this was shocking because for me I was overtaking people doing burpees uh, doing burpees on the hoist box jumps and on, uh, and on the box jumps whatever uh, he said um, it was a bit gutted because he obviously he paced his race to overtake people later rather than going out sprint. he said those that went out sprinting at the start ended up getting the podium spots irrespective of where they finished or where they would have finished just because they were leading at the uh, the 8 minute point in the race um, so he then he wrote back saying defo do the dates work competitive race let's hope they unlock the doors That is absolutely ridiculous. It does make you
2: think, like, how can they get things so wrong sometimes?
1: Can you imagine? It's just—I know. I mean, you spend all that money, you take your family out, you prepare for a race. They said there were literally people in tears. So, what was happening was that you know you got people piling in from the top, coming down these stairs with nowhere to go. So it just bottlenecked, and everyone was stuck. They couldn't turn around and go back because too many people were coming in. So they were just stuck by this locked door, and people didn't know when they were going to get out. I mean. You don't want to be that person who locked that door, let's be fair. But that's the kind of thing that needs to be checked. But yeah, so uh, Spartan Amsterdam, yeah. whoever was winning at the eight-minute mark got on the podium. <laughs> Happy day.
2: i would say, well, that's why Mark Dixon's been running off the start line so far. So he knows something we don't.
1: I make a lot of, yeah, Dixon would have got a definite gold elite level for that. Bloody hell. So, yeah. Uh, Little bit of gossip out there. You said we haven't been in the fold. I uh, I challenge you, sir. I think the last podcast we spoke, I hadn't raced for ages. This year, since our last podcast, I've done Warrior Adrenaline Race, two laps, which is a uh, you know a, a, a good old fashioned OCR. Yeah. I've done Spartan. I've been out for the Euros. Uh, I think there was another race somewhere. I've actually done. It. I've done at least three races, which is pretty good. Good effort. I've done some racing. Um, nah, what have I'll I just done? Throw that out there. Um,
2: I ran. Part of the, well, majority of the short course at Euros. I ran the long course at Euros. Uh... Oh, I did Tough Guy. That hurt. Uh, God, that's how long it's been since we recorded an episode. I did Tough Guy all those months back. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's a a Tough Guy. It's definitely. I mean, I went to Mud Monsters.
1: You went to Mud Monsters, so you didn't do it.
2: I didn't do it. I went there. There was people giving out free cake. I wasn't going to miss that. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I, I did nothing. I've done nothing. It's it's been fairly productive for me, as you can tell.
1: So what we got up coming? Uh, I know that all the talks been about the uh, the OCR series events, haven't they? Which are the uh, the Viking races? They've been getting really, really good press. Oh, that's the other race I've done. Cause I've just seen you put. We got man versus mountain on the seventh of September. I did a rat race, dirty weekend as well. So that's another race I've got in got in since I last saw you. Really enjoyed it. It's just they just put on a great event. If anyone hasn't done it, it's just a great. I just think it's a great event
2: yeah it's up there with one of my top events I haven't done it for a few years but really is up there with one of my favourites
1: then we've got um, Spartan Scotland still to come on the 14th and 15th of September and uh, for those that just missed it Man versus Mountain on the 7th of September another stunning race if you haven't done it before and really good training for those who fancy going out to the Euros to do the Dolomites next year get get your mountain legs, uh, mountain legs working
2: yeah good idea actually get on it because otherwise it's really going to hit you hard
1: So, James, we're going to jump into our favourite OCR Disrupt rap. When we come back, you will get to hear an interview that took place with Sean Wilde all about the new UK OSF. And then after that, we have, of course, our three Dick of the Day nominations. So stay tuned. OCR Disrupt with Nick Day and James Buckley It might get a little controversial, yeah, it could get a little ugly Keep it hella entertaining every single time, you can never hate this Keep it authentic, just face it, obstacle course racing Yeah, yeah, a community that's bigger every year Fastest growing mass participation sports in the world You ain't down with OCR Disrupt, you must be out your mind Every time they keep it live, time to tune in and subscribe, Welcome, Sean, to the OCR Disrupt Podcast. You're going to tell us a bit more about yourself and, more importantly, all about the uh, well, the new UK OSF. Uh, rather than me try and give some background to it, I might as well leave it to the man who's in the know. So it's Sean Wilde, who's joining us today for the first time on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your background uh, in OCR and, uh, I guess, more importantly,
3: how you've got involved with the federation. So that's the um, United Kingdom Obstacle Sports Federation. You know that's the name of it. Uh, my background: I've been in, in OCR as an athlete for about five years now. Started in 2014. Started properly racing about October 2014. So I missed the first World Champs, but I've done the World Champs ever since from 15 onwards. I so met you then in those in those days many years ago. You did. You got a good result in
1: 2015. You beat someone quite famous, I believe. You might as well get it in there while you got a moment.
3: Robert Killian yeah 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 I left him I left him floundering on the on the platinum rig um which is great <laughs> unfortunately I never beat John Alban so but, but there you go but I don't think many people have um yeah I've I've, I've done very you know a lot of races of uh, these days I tend to do more Spartan than anything it just suits my my old age and and the fitness levels I'm at is a and now, 55 year old athlete, you know. So, for those that don't know
1: you, I mean, I know you pretty well because we've done some adventure racing because you're a, a qualified sort of mountain leader. Um, you obviously, you've competed at a very high level at kayaking as well, I believe, if I remember correctly. You've been in the armed forces. Um, you know, you've got a pretty good sporting pedigree behind your OCR background. I think I'll just get that in for you—a little plug for you there, Sean. But we've raced—you know—in Italy. We've done some ultra races together. We've done various mountain-level, mountain, uh, mountain navigational course races, haven't we? So you've got a really good background that supports your OCR skills.
3: Yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've done a few mountain marathons together. Not particularly successful, but we—they were fun, weren't they? Um, yeah. And prior to that, I was—I was, um, I was um, very much into canoe slalom, particularly as a young soldier, and um, in later years. In 2009, I was actually the British Vets Champion in Canoes slalom, which, which is an Olympic sport, and I'm a coach.
1: And just to mention this as well, because we know each other not just through sport, but but professionally as well. And uh, it's worth mentioning, you, know, you mentioned your coaching there, but also you run uh, a learning and development software business, don't you? So it's kind of in your in your blood to be training and developing somewhere along the line, whether it's professionally or personally. It's something you've you kind of always done.
3: Yeah, it's sort of a profession as well. I'm, I'm a I'm a chartered member of the CIPD, so I, I, so I'm, I suppose I'm trained to develop people um, in in professional life. Um, You know, I'm a qualified teacher and vocational assessor, and I've done all of those things. So yeah, I'm, and I think that's what I'm really bringing to the table. I'm not I'm not saying I'm the best coach in the world, but I know how to set up training systems and coaching systems and development systems so
1: let's so let, let's talk about that then we talked a little bit about your background in training and coaching uh, briefly how did you involved with, with the new federation
3: well i was i was going to do a bit of work with um the, these guys in um the, 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 these people in wales they were landowners they wanted um, to build a training site they wanted it to be a race site and i was thinking about how we train staff so i was looking at coaching qualifications and you know how how people can come on their site and act in a safe way and I, I'd, I went on to the World OCR site, looked at the, that they had coaching uh, qualifications. I'd would i been through the badges myself with Spartan and UK Athletics. And, you know, I'd, I'd done various coaching things, but I wanted to see what they were doing. And I, I noticed at the time that it said that there was a, a sports federation in development in the UK. I went, oh, wow, because I was aware of Okra and the history of Okra, as we're all painfully aware of. Um, so I. So I so I went and sought out who was involved, and I, and I contacted Owner Navarro, who's the president, and uh, we, and it went from there. Really, we we just started talking and talked about what I'd been planning to do. That fell by the wayside because they did, they didn't get the planning permission, and off the back of that, we then started to talk about what we could do with UKOSF.
1: Nice. So uh, there is an elephant in the room, which I'm keen to ask, which is, you know, we're all, we're all familiar with Okra uh, and we all kind of, well, for those who are for a while will know that kind of question, Burnley. There were lots of unanswered questions at the end of that, uh, end of Okra, shall we say. So is the relationship with the new UK OSF and, and, and the previous Okra legacy, if you like, is there any connection with the two or is this completely new and separate?
3: It's completely new and separate, although there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. And we've, we've, we are very aware of what went on before, prior, prior to... UK OSF, and we don't want to certainly make those mistakes. We're we're we we're linked into World OCR, which is the what, what what will become the world governing body when it's a recognised sport. We're linked in with OCR Europe, which is the continental federation, and we and we and we will become the national federation.
1: So obviously, there you mentioned about OCR. There's OCR Europe. There's obviously a number of other commissions um, all over Europe and other committees. So who, who currently? Who else is involved? In, and do you have plans in your commissions to see?
3: Yes we do um, we're talking to world OCR we're talking to OCR Europe they they have a certain structure that we've we've, we've emulated really we, we've looked at it we've looked at the commissions and those people in the various commissions and committees and we've we've not exactly copied it because we I think UK needs something slightly different. so we do we, look we do, we, we do um, map into that and we're speaking at every level to those people.
1: Sure. Has it, has it been well-received so far? I mean, obviously, there's been quite a bit of you know, coverage
3: on, on Facebook and the like, which, you know, I've seen things. But Has it been received positively? I think so in general. I think because of the history with Ocra, for example, and I think because people are very protected to their environments and what they've done so far, there is always that, um, I won't call it negative, but, but it's certainly, oh, what are you guys going to do about this? And should you guys be you know telling us what to do in this particular area it's not really about that we want to become a recognized sport and you have to put a series of things together in order to go to UK sport and to become recognized if we're ever going to go to the Olympics with OCR we have to go through these pathways and tick those boxes.
1: Before we jumped onto this call today me and James having a chat about it and we're saying you know for months or longer than that probably everyone's been going oh we need a governing body we need a governing body we need a governing body and then finally someone steps forward like yourselves you know a group of people and says you know we can be like, we can do it one kicks off and says who are these people i've never heard of them we don't want these people. it's just like what you know you, you wish for it for ages finally someone puts their head above the power a few people do and then uh, it gets shot down so you have my full support i mean it's better to have something rather than nothing um obviously i, I watch it with interest I don't know where it's going to go. And um, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least you've given it a go. Tell us about the, uh, I guess, the, the planned objectives, timeframes, if you know them. But obviously, number one, your objective is become a recognised sport. What's objective number two if you achieve that?
3: Actually, that's not objective number one. What we need to do um, in 2020, um, really, because we're at the moment we're just putting every, every, everything together. We're going out to the community, asking for volunteers to get involved. And the things that we've spoken about at the moment is to consolidate a UK league, for example. So we've been speaking to the guys at Mudstacle on how we might do that moving forward. Okay.
1: And any, any developments you can uh, tell us at this stage? Or is it still uh, in discussion?
3: No, in that stage, because we're still in discussion with those guys at the moment, but we think we can get a way forward with that. More significantly is that we are we think we've got a pathway to have a UK championship for next year. It's, it's likely to be later on, September September time frame is is what we're looking at. We we've got some people who are interested in working with us. It's a bit too late to go out to a for, into a formal tender process, but so but there's there's things happening out there already that, that we've that we've latched, you know, latched into and we, we can we can put something together for next year. It will become more formalized as as time goes on. Uh, and for example, just to, just as a point, we as we speak, they're bidding, you know, organizations are bidding to host the 2021 European Championships. We're not, we're not mature enough to, to bid for those, um, this time, but we're, we're hoping next year we, we'll be mature enough to bid for 2022. So all of these things take a little bit of time. Sure. Does
1: that mean that long-term long term, there'll be an official Team UK and a Team UK kit? Or you know, at the moment, we've also got different people pulling out a team kit, which we'll kind of buy online, but it's, it's officially unofficial. Uh, does that mean that these kind of things we pull, pull together, and you'll have, will we have official like, Team UK team, like elite team or elite kits and so on?
3: All of those things are on the table and being discussed at the moment. Um, in terms of Team UK kit, we have that in place already. We're not going to change that. We're speaking to the. You all know the guys who are involved in Team UK kit. We're, we're going to work with those guys to, to to have something for next year and then the year after. How that will evolve, who knows? Obviously, if we do become a um, a recognised sport, that will become Team GB, as you know. Um, but but that for that's for the future. What what needs what needs to be done to make it recognised sport? It's quite complicated, also, mate. You have to you have to have coaching frameworks you have to have um, a championship you need to have a league you need to have robust rules you need to have the right um compliance in place we all we're, we're painfully aware of this year and more recently where races have gone by the wayside for different reasons we, we need to be on top of that moving forward in order to give uk sport the um, the confidence that we can that we can move forward. We need to put all of those things in place. That won't happen overnight. It certainly won't happen in year one. But we have to have a plan over two or three years to make sure we tick all of those boxes that they that, that UK Sport will be looking for. So it's a it's a it's it's an evolving thing.
1: So. OCR is known at the moment I guess as a mass participation event uh, obviously a very popular one it's growing all the time for those that uh, just enjoy it as a mass participation event where they you know go with work they go with friends they, you know, they, they go as a, as a big team group and they don't really want it to to, to take it on as a sport so, so to speak what are the benefits of it becoming a recognised sport well, You know, for people that are unsure about what this means for the future let's say that you get all those things ticked off you get the league you get the coaching qualifications done and all the other bits and pieces you need to get through it's going to take some time what are the benefits Fits to those that already are passionately love OCR. You know what can they what can they look for for the future?
3: Look forward to. I think I, I think your point applies to every sport. I think in every sport that you know of now, they have elite races, they have competitive races, they have participation races. Um, that those sports, including your your old sport of triathlon, have have coaching frameworks and they have a, a governing body. They're in the Olympics. They have championships. You have. Championships that are not part of Olympics, things like, um, um, Ironman, you know, so, so you have, you have spin-offs from the sport as well. All of those things are fine. But I think ultimately what you want is a very safe sport. You need to make, people need to be, um, insured correctly. Races need to be insured correctly. Races need to be safe. The obstacles need to be safe. And if you're going to engage with a coach, you need to know that they've been trained correctly. Whether you, whether they're coaching you around obstacle technique, um, running technique, strength in general, just so that you can get yourself over the obstacles, you know, prior to doing the technique. All of those things, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. Health and safety, first aid. What about water? Are, are we putting the right safe working practices in place when you're training people on water? Can they swim? Can the coaches swim, Etc. Etc. So it's a case of just looking at all of those things and making sure that we have a safe sport and, and again, that I'm sure that UK Sport would be looking at that too.
1: And there have there have been, um, you know, very sad to say, that, uh, you know, only recently I, I, there was obviously a fatality of someone taking part in, in an OCR uh, day, and we've seen a few you know, major things happen. So, you know, safety is something we should all be uh, be pushing for in a sport. But also on the, uh, you mentioned the Olympics there in your. Um, you know, you're talking about the future. That's obviously an aim I know that you've got behind the scenes. Longer term, I don't know if you've put a year which Olympics you're aiming for, but I know that one of your dreams is to, as part of UK OSF, is to to, to get OCR into a future Olympics. Is that still the
3: case? It is, and I think that comes at the world OCR level and their their aspirations, and that will take time because it's not just about the UK getting there. Every, everything in order in, from their point of view. All the other countries need to do the same, and. And if you look around the different countries, just in Europe, because OCR Europe is a continental federation, but there are other continents as well to consider. All of those participating countries need to get their acting order in the same way. So it's a massive task. So it's not going to happen in the near future. Um, I don't think there's much chance, for example, to to be ready for the Paris the Paris Olympics in 2024. There's probably a great chance for us to be ready for 2028 for Los Angeles, which is nine years away.
1: Well, listen, we're running out of time, but it's currently holding a launch meeting, aren't you, on the 10th of September. Uh, So there's an opportunity for people to get involved and find out more about it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's happening on the 10th. Um, And I believe also while we're here, you are going to answer two questions for me, Sean. Um, You're still looking for some people to join. UK OSF as well. I think there was a treasurer and a few other ones that were still vacant. So let us know a little bit about the 10th and uh, which roles you're still uh, hoping to, to
3: get some uh, volunteers for. Yeah, so on the 10th, we're going to we're going to announce what we've organised so far. So we should have more information about the UK Championship for sure. Um, I'm open to, you know, I'll, I'll provide some detail about the coaching framework we've been working on, how we're going to train our officials and, and the people that will provide safety on courses um We might have more information around the UK league, and how that might evolve. But that's still in negotiation. So, as much as we get to through over the next couple of weeks, we'll we'll share that on the 10th of September. Plus, also people can put their views forward as well. um All of those people can volunteer. Not only to be leading a commission, but they can be part of the committees. So, for, so for example, in my commission around developing coaches and developing officials, if they want to volunteer be on the committees, be part of those teams that will put the safe working practices in place. They're very welcome to put the names forward. And yes, we do need a treasurer. So if there's any accountant out there that, that wants to come and work with uh, UKOSF, it, it would be great to speak to those guys or girls uh, to come and help us do that.
1: Fantastic. Well, listen, I mean, for those, you know, I'm not familiar with everyone on the UK OSF board, but um, I've known Sean, as a good friend of mine, known him for a number of years, a great athlete. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, Sean, if you're involved, uh, you get my vote. And I think anyone that, you know, is unsure about it at the moment, I know it's. If you're involved, Sean, I, I can only think it's it's got you know absolutely the right intentions. and I'm sure it'll do all the right things. So credit for you guys for putting your, your, yourself in the ring to to try and make some progress on, on a sport we all love. So I hope it all works out. And yeah, all the best. And I'll, we'll look forward here. O- OCR Disrupts about seeing how UK OSF moves forward. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much. Pleasure, buddy. I'll speak to you soon.
3: Cheers, then. Bye-bye.
1: do have a couple of Dick of the Days. Uh, now, this should really be Dick of the Month or Dick of the Sixth Month. I don't know. We've got a little bit of time between our last podcast and this. So we've actually got three nominations.
2: So in, well, in first, in one of the nominations, shall I say, is Becky Rendle and Wizair. Um, then we've also got Dan Heath and Stuart Neal, although I feel like they can be combined, those last two, Dan and Stuart. Um, now, Becky, I, I say she was traveling out with you um Got stopped at the gate, I believe. And um, I'll tell you what, you tell the story. You were there, you know the one.
1: All right. So it was me, me Becky, Tony Leary, uh, Rebecca Cohen, all traveling out, under and Rob Border, all traveling out to the Euros, all very excited. It was Becky's birthday, everyone's in good spirits. You know, we're excited. We're all in the talking about, you know, how we're going to prepare for the races, the short course, all the preparation we've put in. All the, have we packed everything? All very excited, very excited. We get to the airport, uh, and Becky's. Like, oh, I'm not able to check in online. I've uh, got to go to the desk. I'm not quite sure why. I've been trying repeatedly. We all tried to check in for her and happen. We get to the desk, and they've put Becky on the standby list, which basically means on every flight you're allowed to overbook the seats by up to ten percent. Uh, just in case people don't turn up so they can obviously capitalize on the cash that they they make on the flights it turned out though that everybody turned up for the flight so they had overbooked the flight and becky was therefore in that 10 percent additional capacity and couldn't get on the flight so she had to wait in the lounge to see if there were some people that didn't show up Uh, so we waited in the lounge obviously and we had to kind of Say goodbye to her in the lounge as she waited to see if there was someone that didn't turn up, and unfortunately, everyone did turn up. So, whilst we waved goodbye to her in the Wizz Air lounge, Becky had to wait around for several hours to see, uh, you know, if she could change her flight, if she would get onto another flight, which she couldn't. So, Wizz Air had to put her into a uh, hotel uh, for the evening, and then she they had to get onto a flight the following day. What it meant was Becky missed the short course, um, because she, they couldn't get it out quick enough. She was. It was on her birthday, and it's like you know those those things you get where you get like you leave someone at the airport at, 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 at an airport. You see it in films, and you kind of walk away, and it's like those puppy dog eyes as they go away, and you just say, "There's nothing you can do." It was kind of like that. It was a it was emotional because all of us were excited, and we just had to try and like I don't know just watch Becky left there on her own with all of her bags ready to go on her birthday in an airport lounge on her own. It was horrendous. <laughs> I felt all of us felt her.
2: Yeah, it really did look brutal.
1: I was trying to help. So I was trying to speak to the guys there and say, look, there's anything you can do. Can we get a book on? Which I don't think this did help. So while I was there, because Becky had got whatever standard seat was, I was still officially able to book a seat on the, on the same flight. They weren't letting her on. So I was online looking at a seat I could buy there and then for like 175 quid. Yeah. So they were telling us that the flight was booked but they were still taking bookings, which I think was bang out of order. So I told us to put that on social yeah. media. And then when we got on the flight, yeah. there were at least two empty seats.
2: Yeah. I remember seeing that.
1: I just thought, what?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was harsh.
1: Really harsh. But anyway, she did get out the following day. Uh, she did miss the short course, which was gutting. She, she, they couldn't fly her to Gdansk. They had to fly her to a different airport. So when she did get uh, over to Poland, she then had to suffer. I think it was a... A long taxi, yep. several hours, five or six hours on a taxi to get over to the uh, to the race, which he eventually got to get onto the uh, the course. But, uh, yeah, felt for Becky. So
2: Yeah, that was a bit brutal for us to call a dick of the day, but, yeah, that that, that definitely goes in there. Um,
1: tell us about Dan Heath and
2: Stuart Neal. Oh, God, they was just... I mean, as I'm sure everyone that listens to this would have seen the videos of those two attempting a flying monkey by now. Um, yeah... What, what do you say about it? I mean, Stuart actually let go of the bar on sort of um well while travelling backwards on the on the swing and ended up flying almost into the crowds, whereas Dan at least went forwards and uh, landed on his back um and I think the the, the best summary of it was from Karin Carlson, who came up to me and asked me if I'd seen the video um and who said that maybe if Stuart had been facing the wrong way to start with, he'd have at least traveled in the right direction, which I thought was absolutely brilliant from Karin. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's my nomination.
1: There is a brilliant video out there. We'll try and see if we can get a video and put it on our on our Facebook page. Yes. It's a brilliant video. And actually, I mentioned Leon Kofed because if you haven't seen it. He did the ninja course. Um, and you think, you know, amazing obstacles is going to fly through this. He didn't, didn't win the ninja course. He flew through. And at the end, mm. there is um, like a hamster wheel. And he tried to do the hamster wheel a bit quicker. The rather the hamster wheel to the end, he thought, I'll fly monkey to the belt. Uh, and in his attempt to fly a monkey, did, did basically did what we now call he did a Stuart Neal. Uh, so in his attempt to try and fly forwards, came flying off the hamster wheel in the wrong direction uh, and face down in the mud and d- didn't do quite so well on the ninja course either. But another great video and shows that even the elites, even those at the top of the game, can uh, can can do, a Stuart, can do a Stuart Neal.
2: Yep, And make a little mistake here and there. But yeah, no, you're right. It was just brilliant, wasn't it, watching those videos? Yeah. Obviously, we are not laughing at them
1: just let us know which one you think should win we've got options are Wizz Dan Heath and Stuart Neal or Leon Cofed mm. we'll see if we can find videos for for all well for the first two and uh, I might be able to find an image of just leaving Becky at the airport which is just a sad face I might better put wow. on the page ah <laughs> oh, she's over <laughs> so it now she's, she's awesome she'll understand she's been on the podcast so yeah she's good she's good
0: the OCR Disrupt podcast. If you want to join the conversation, check out the OCR Disrupt Facebook group
3: and get involved in the debate. Till next time.